I can't uh, walk and chew gum at the same time. And they've got me working with PowerPoint today. <laughs> but I worked really hard all week to make something real simple complicated. <laughs> so hang in there with me. Turn, if you would, uh, in your Bibles uh, to uh, Genesis 5. Like many uh, people here, I, I really enjoy the book of uh, Genesis. It's really humbling when you go through it and you think how many centuries ago it was written and what a, what a blessing it is uh, even today. And I got to thinking about this passage recently. Um, I was on active duty in the military uh, for seven years. And for six of those years, I was with the Army chaplain section. And when I got out of the Army, I went to college and got in the ministry since, different capacities, church capacity, and then inner city ministry because I really wanted to work in the inner city with poor people. And one of the interesting things that's happened to me here in, in Whatcom County is when a veteran passes away, and there are many retirees here, uh, it's difficult to get a chaplain from one of the military bases to come up and take part in the service. So one of the uh, funeral directors in the area, and I are good friends, and I've just done many, many funerals with him, uh, often from veterans out of the area who come home uh, to be buried in the uh, family plot. But it's really turned into a, an interesting little ministry because uh, I get to meet with the families. Uh, I get to share Christ with them. I get to do a, a respectful uh, sermon or funeral or a com committal uh, with, the, with the veteran. And uh, it's really uh, opened some doors uh, with, with local families as well. And uh, this past week, I had such a opportunity, and I was doing uh, the committal service at a, at a local cemetery, and I came early, as I, as I always do, and make sure that everything's lined up, and um, is there going to be an honor guard there, and I need to talk with the honor guard, and when they're going to come into the service, and um, I make suggestions if I need to make a suggestion to the funeral director. Is it a cremation? Do we have a table up there so folks can come up and lay a rose down because there's no grave to speak of? Things like that. And, and as I was walking through the cemetery this, this past week, this thought of Enoch um, came to mind. You, I'll be walking through uh, row after row after row in some cemeteries, particularly if they're larger, and cemeteries are fascinating to me because you'll see sometimes there's generation after generation after generation of graves. Some cemeteries have a, a headstone, large headstone, and there are smaller stones for each member of the family. Or if you go to a memorial cemetery like Green Acres, uh, there's a, a, a brass family plaque, and then 
Below that might be a row of little brass plaques because people are dying out of the area. Family doesn't want to ship hey, the remains, so they, there are cremations. And they come and uh, they're buried there below the, the headstone. And you see uh, folks who lived, I did a funeral for one woman, was 104 years old. 104. Her, her three daughters were in her early 80s. <laughs> And they were all looking forward to 104, believe me. <laughs> and, and then you see tragedies. You see young people who were killed in car accidents, drug overdoses, suicide. You read about some of these things in the paper, and you don't give them another thought till you're walking through a cemetery, and you see uh, the marker. Well, that's kind of like uh, Genesis 5 today. In a way, we're kind of walking through a cemetery. And, if you, and as you look in the first, uh, I won't read them all, but the first 18, 19 verses, let's just take one verse, for example. Verse 6, it says, Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. And after he begot Enosh, he lived 807 years, had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. This is what we see over and over again in this fifth chapter. Someone was born, someone lived, someone begot children, someone died. Next verse, someone lived, so, someone was born, someone lived, someone had children, someone died. And we're walking through the cemetery and we're seeing stone after stone after stone and, and below the headstone, this is by no means comprehensive. He's just pointing out certain names that, that the, the readers would have known. And then you come to en Enoch's grave. What's different about Enoch's grave? No one buried there. <laughs> And we see that in uh, verse 18. It says, Jared lived 162 years and he begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years. Obviously, he had an organic diet. <laughs> and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived... 65 years and begot Methuselah. I, I'm so glad we got a baby here today. You're going to be our object lesson. <laughs> Enoch. <laughs> That's right. And, and what I want to point out here is up until he was 65, Enoch lived just like everybody else. He was on his way to being like everybody else that was mentioned prior. He was living. He'd been born. He was living. And then something happened in Enoch's life. Enoch became a father. At least that's what the scripture seems to implicate, that after 
after he had his son, something changed in his life. You know, we go through uh, this chapter and this, this life of Enoch is special because now for the, for the first time we're seeing here, it says in verse 22 that after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. You see the change? He walked with God. Other people had children. But they just kept going through the motions. Going through the motions, dying, their children grow up, have children, go through the motions, die, their children have children. But Enoch walked with God. And he walked with God for 300 years. I like what uh, Vance Havner says up there on top. That He says, Do not most people today resemble the ancestors of Enoch in living, begetting sons and daughters and dying? Is not life for most of humanity that and nothing more? And that's what life is for, for millions and millions of people on this earth. It's just getting up each day and just going through the motions. With, with God entirely out of their life. Or as Chuck Colson used to say, compartmentalized. We have God in a compartment. Maybe we let him out on Sunday mornings. Well, we see that the commencement of Enoch's walking with God started after he begot Methuselah. What does that mean? It's real obvious. He didn't always walk with God. And again, the scripture seems to imply that he started to walk with the Lord after the birth of his son. Who comes on the scene after Methuselah that's really famous? Hint, uh, Genesis 7. Noah. And God is, is going to send judgment. And I wonder if the Lord didn't reveal to Enoch who named his son Methuselah, and they would give names in those days that, that, that would translate into, into something relevant, like Joshua, salvation. Well, Methuselah means judgment's coming. And I wonder if Enoch didn't say, well, I better get serious about my life with the Lord because judgment's coming. And who, which individual in the Bible lived longer than anyone? Methuselah. And we see the, the patience and the long-suffering of our Lord with us and with the world, not willing that any should, should perish. 
But judgment's coming. And Enoch seems that that was revealed to him, and he walked with the Lord. I, I have really enjoyed here each Sunday hearing the young people come up and talk about camp. You like that? So I know it's a tradition here. I better like it. <laughs> and, but you know, I never had that, that growing up. I, I, I never went to church. And when I met Pat, it was one of the things I admired about her and her family. They went to church. And I used to go with her. And I remember when, when we were married and our, our first daughter was born, I said, I don't want my daughter to grow up like I did. I, I want her to grow up and go to a church and meet other young people whose parents share the same values. And I converted to the denomination that Pat attended. And in the course of wanting to be a good member of that denomination, reading Scripture and saying, well, maybe there's something more here. And Pat and I ultimately left that church and, and have become uh, Baptists since. You know, a lot of people won't admit that anymore. You know, it, it's a you know, first community church, first non-denominational church of the Son in Jesus Christ. But they don't tell you who they are. I, I appreciate the fact that this is First Baptist Church. And I've appreciated these kids, young people, and it's important because I, I've seen young people over the years, when I was a youth pastor for three years, you'd go to an event like this, and I'm telling you that this morning in Fayetteville, West Virginia, where, where I was ordained, there's a young person in that church with his wife, and they were both in my youth group, and they're there with their kids, and we went to a camp one summer, and this kid got saved. You, you know, th things like camp, or, or it could be a, a sermon, or a, a, a new baby is born, a divorce. Some people think they're going along really well with the Lord, and they really fall on their face, and they have this huge awakening, and they get up and they say, I'm going to walk with the Lord. Failure, loss, you know, any, anything that comes into our life that, that causes us to walk with God is a, is a blessing. It's a blessing. And how did, what was the condition of walking with God? Well, Enoch's mentioned again in the uh, book of Hebrews, and you see up there that it says, you see the big before, it says, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he didn't see death. And he was not 
found because God had taken him. For before, before, before he was taken, when he started to walk with God, he had this testimony that he, that he pleased God. And we see that twice. And we all know that famous verse in Hebrews, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible what? To please God. Well, who's he talking there about in Hebrews 11.6? He's talking about Enoch. It goes back to Enoch. How did Enoch please uh, walk with God? Or please him? Well, we see that it was by faith. He put his faith in what the Lord said and he believed in. You know, faith, I think sometimes us New Testament people uh, would really benefit from spending a lot more time in the Old Testament. And, you know, faith in the Old Testament, the Hebrews translate it trust. Trust. You know, recently that fellow walked across uh, the Grand Canyon there on a tightrope, you know, uh, I believed he could do it. Trust is me getting on his shoulders. <laughs> you see? And that's what God wants us to do, is trust him. Not just believe him, but, but, but trust him. found this uh, interesting quote in one of the books I have, and it's by Thomas Constable, who's a department chair and senior professor of Bible exposition at Dallas Seminary. And he calls this uh, matter of trust and belief as it relates to Abraham. In and, and, and Genesis 15:6. he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He says, this is the most important verse in the Bible. And I had a professor in college tell me the same thing. He just happened to be a Dallas grad. <laughs> but it says in it, this doctrine of justification by faith is set forth for the first time. It's the first verse in the Bible that explicitly to speak of faith, righteousness, and justification. Trust in God's promise is what results in justification or Last week we were talking about righteousness. Well, justification means to be declared righteous. And how do we become declared righteous? How do we become righteous? Through faith. But the object of faith doesn't. The promises vary, but the object of faith doesn't. It's always God. It's in this belief, faith in the only living God that saves the sinner from sin. Enoch put his faith, his trust in God. Judgment was coming, and God was going to deliver Enoch from that. People were going to die for their sins, but Enoch was going to be saved because he trusted in the Lord. There are three types of faith in I just want to run through these really quickly. 
And if you go to James, which was the Lord's half-brother, and one of the oldest books in the New Testament, and James writes to the, to the early church, he says, you believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So the, the first type of faith is, is dead faith. James said, you believe in God? Good. Even the demons believe. You know, the devil believes in God. <laughs> he has faith, but he doesn't have saving faith. Matter of fact, they take it beyond that. They not only have an intellectual knowledge of God, but they have an emotional aspect. That's a demonic faith. Not only an intellectual component, but an emotional component. It says they tremble. They're, they not only believe in God, they fear God. The devil's not going to heaven. Demons aren't. Then there's the third kind of faith, which is called a, a dynamic faith. And I call these out of uh, Warren Wiersbe's uh, commentary on James. Warren lives in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, by the way, and has uh, been a friend to Pat and I for almost 20 years now. When we go, whenever we go back to Lincoln, we have lunch with them. Just a, just a fine Bible teacher, one, one of the best our country's ever produced. And he talks here about this dynamic faith as the whole person. There's a lot of people believe. I probably believed in God most of my life. I, I, I didn't know him in a salvific way. I probably respected God, had a, had a bit of a fear of God. And that's, there are three things that uh, make us have what's called a personality. You know, God is a person. Why, does, why is God a, a person? Because he has a personality. He has intellect. He has emotion. He has will or volition. And this is the third aspect where... We act out, we act on our belief. It becomes something real in our life. And this is what James is talking about. You know, don't you know that faith without works is dead? If, if you know Christ, you, you'll be saved. But we're going to see fruit. We're going to see change in your life. And he points out how, in James, they point, he points out how this was demonstrated in the life of various folks in the, in the Old Testament. So, Enoch started a walk with God. The condition of that walk was, was faith in the promises of God. And then he continued. I like that. 
There's a lot of Christians out there. I call them three yards in a cloud of dust. <laughs> Some of you who know football know what I'm talking about. Three yards in a cloud of dust. But it seems like they're always punting or there's never a first down. <laughs> or they walk off the field. I like this. Enoch, Enoch continued. And in the book of Jude, another one of our, our Lord Jesus' half-brothers, he wrote in his letter to the church about Enoch. And if you notice up here, over and over again, while well, this book of Enoch isn't part of inspired scripture, the Jews of that time had a high regard for its, its value. So Jude was quoting something they would have known about at that time, and he's talking here about uh, Enoch, and he says, he, he talked about, you know, this is prior to the, the flood and the wickedness of the time. You know, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That was the characteristic of the people of Enoch's time prior to the flood. What, what word stands out there? Ungodly. They were ungodly. And the point I'm trying to make here is Enoch walked with the Lord for 300 years in an ungodly culture. It can be done. It can be done. And I, I see things that, that come in, into my office At, at times it would just shock me. Just shock me. We had, we had, I'll give you one example. We had, we had one fellow come in, he just, uh, very angry, acted out, went to prison for his anger, was in prison 15 years in Colorado, got out, and when he came to the mission, he had horrific anger issues. And as we got to know this guy and, and work with him, we found out that from the time he was three until the time he was 14, his father sexually abused him weekly for all that time. And this guy was angry. Imagine 52 weeks a year. And imagine when you came home from school, you knew what was waiting for you. Anger, anger, anger. We were trying to work with this fellow, working with through forgiveness issues and anger issues and what's normal issues and 
relationally, he was a mess with people. And imagine this fellow's never going to get married. Just, just never going to happen. Never going to work. Too damaged. We, we deal with horrific things in, in our culture today. There's a ministry starting locally about, for, for girls, sex trafficking, slave trafficking in Whatcom County. Whatcom County, dairy country. <laughs> it's possible, it's possible to walk with the Lord in an ungodly culture. And this, this was a, a walk, I called it a tough neighborhood. Tough neighborhood. And he walked with the Lord. You know, in the Hebrew, that's also translated pleased. He walked with the Lord. He pleased the Lord. It's interchangeable sometimes. And Enoch not only walked with the Lord, but he delighted in him. Not for what he could get out of God, but for, for God himself. We love God for just for who he is. And eventually, there was the culmination. And we see up there that God, God took him. I liked uh, one illustration I, I heard was Enoch and God were out walking one day and the Lord says, you know, Enoch, we're closer to my place than yours. Why don't you come home with me? And he did. A few weeks ago, we lost a great Christian scholar Many, many people aren't aware of it because he was such a humble man. But his name was uh, Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard wrote The Divine Conspiracy and some other really famous books of our generation. And Dallas Willard, for 48 years, was on the faculty of the University of Southern California. Matter of fact, for a while, he chaired their philosophy department. And here you've got a world-class scholar chairing the philosophy department at the University of Southern California. I love it. <laughs> Dallas Willard recently passed away. He had pancreatic cancer. He was aggressive. He knew, he knew he didn't have long for this earth. But he was talking with his pastor, and his pastor says, you know, you're... Your, your, your time is coming near. What kind of thoughts do you have? And Dallas Willard said, I'm going to be dead a long time before I know it. Because followers of Jesus will not taste death. And that was his attitude. And I think of Enoch just going to be with the Lord. Well, that's, that's how it is with us, folks. And even... Even Dallas Willard, in, in the last blog he ever wrote, he said, 
No death. This accounts for Jesus' numerous indications that for the godly, death is nothing. Have no fear of those who can only kill the body. We will not even experience death. John 8, 51 and 52. Numerous places in the New Testament say the believers will not taste death. And he says, such is the understanding of the New Testament as a whole. Those who live in reliance upon the word and the person of Jesus know by experience the reality of his kingdom are always better off dead from the personal point of view. We live in the knowledge that as Paul elsewhere says, Jesus the anointed has abolished death and has through the gospel made life and immortality obvious. I have a good friend who, who lost her brother yesterday. Brain tumor. And she was just despondent because earlier this year, within a course of a few weeks, she lost both of her parents. And I told her, as I, as I met with her the other day for just a few moments, your brother's not dead. Your parents aren't dead. They're with Jesus. And I think of an acorn as I was walking through the cemetery Earlier this week, I went by an oak tree and there was acorns all over the ground. And I looked at these acorns and I said, are, are they dead? Are they dead? Because they fell off the tree, what we might in interpret in our life as death, because it fell off the tree. Are they dead? Are they? No. No. They become something else. They go on to the next phase of their existence that God has for them. They're not dead. I believe heaven's a real place. I don't know if it's up there in the sky somewhere. I don't know if it's another dimension. Some interesting thoughts about heaven being another dimension that spiritual bodies can go in and out of here. That acorn does not, does not die. It goes on to what the Lord has for it. And that's the same thing that we find in the life of Enoch. Scripture says he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And we know as New Testament Christians that his life and passing are symbolic for us. Just like Elijah, it's a symbol of the resurrected life in heaven, which is going to be a time of unbroken fellowship and perfect fellowship with God. The mathematician can't give you any hope. Scientists can't give you any hope that you'll see a loved one again. But the Lord gives us that hope because he says, if you put your faith in me, you'll, you'll never die. 
I so look forward uh, to seeing my mom again someday. I so look forward to seeing Pat's mom again someday. Which is, which is a hope we have because of the promises God has given us through Christ. Enoch, Enoch walked and God took him and they're still walking together today. And I hope that that's the trust that you have. That you are now, at this time, at this moment, not only believing in God, but you're taking this step forward in faith and walking with him. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who defeated death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? There is no sting. Christ, Christ took it for us on the cross. And I pray, Lord, that that's our hope, that we believe in the finished work of Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, that we might have life. Father, if there's a heart here today who's been stirred or touched, I pray that they'll feel free to call me or, or call one of the, the leaders of this church and discuss uh, this new hope in Christ or this hope in Christ. And we commit this time to you, Lord. We trust you, Father, very specifically um, for the fruit, uh, any fruit that may come from this message. And we thank you, Lord, for um, Pastor Dave and Sue, and we pray, Lord, that you watch over them as they rest this week. In Christ's name, amen.